Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. In celebration of the end of summer, here's a supersized episode 53 of Wait What? With Graham McMillan and I talking Black Panther, The Man Without Fear, Fear Itself, the internet backlash against Grant Morrison, whether creators are the new superheroes, Justice League Dark, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Strikes Again, and his upcoming Holy Terror, West Coast Avengers, The Ultimates, and believe me when I say this, much, much more. It's the kind of thing we'd normally split into two, so pace yourself with this one hour and 50 minute late summer feast. As we mentioned, if you feel like sending us gossip, questions, or idle chit-chat, we welcome your emails at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoy, and as always, thanks for listening. Jeff, I, I, everything I was going to say has been ruined by the fact that your new Skype photograph is you giving me the finger. <laughs> it's, it's me giving Skype the finger, Graham, not you. Not you. Well, all I'm saying is, I'm looking at it right now, and it looks like that Johnny Cash photo. Where it's like, <laughs> honestly, my first thought was, Jeff's turned into Johnny Cash. <laughs> totally unexpected ladies and gentlemen you can't see this because sadly you're not skyping jeff lester right now um but if you were you would see that jeff has turned into that classic iconic johnny gadge photo where he's giving the camera the finger it's it's kind of amazing if johnny cash had slightly less hair and was wearing a headset it would be this photograph it's it's stunning Thank you, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad you approve. I was just so goddamn pissed at trying to get this thing started up, and of course, Skype's like, I have an update. And as far as I can tell, Skype's only update is let me take a new picture of you and let me broadcast everything to fucking Facebook. You know? Oh, is everything going on Facebook? Oh man. Yeah. No. 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 I kept it private. So, which is kind of ironic, but. Uh, um, but considering we only ever use Skype to chat to each other to record it for a podcast, yeah, I'm glad you're keeping it private. <laughs> I wouldn't want anyone to know that we're doing a podcast. No, I ah, uh, yeah, it's true. We could, I don't know, can people call you while you're on another conversation with Skype? Uh, I believe I don't know if they can call. I've definitely gotten messages from K through Skype, like oh, uh, of course, like right, uh, text messages. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Skype. Anyway, Graham. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you appreciate that. Oh, it's fun. it's absolutely fantastic. It's um, as as I told you before. I've been a, I've been in a really really bad mood all day. That has cheered me up like I believe. <laughs> well, I, I'm really glad to hear that because I actually had some uh, awesome other details that I could probably try to cheer you up with. That oh, do it, do it. Let's start with good news for the listeners and for me. Well, I'm not sure exactly how good new, good this news is, but I did have a hilarious couple of minutes where uh, Edie and I uh, were just eating lunch, and in the course of things, I had broken out a couple of uh, stray comic books to try and desperately read, uh, and she looked over at one of them and held up, and it was great. She actually held up the comic, and she read the, the banner, which read, Black Panther... The man without fear, fear itself. <laughs> and for somebody who, like Edie, doesn't read a lot of comics really at all, she's like, "Is this a joke?" Like she really, I had to, had to try and explain it. Yes, yes, it really it is. Kind of is. Yeah, yeah. She's like, 
the fear itself banner is just the she's like that's the part of the joke that you where a comedian adds on to make it seem extra funny and absurd you know um so why am i stuck doing this anyway so i thought that was funny and would cheer you up the other part is because Edie does have a little bit of comic book chops you know she actually said to me one of the great all-time questions because she she was like daredevil the man without fear and da 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 she's like what's the name of that bad guy who looks like a bullseye (laughs) (laughs) i was like do you mean bullseye and she's like yes (laughs) and it was just one of those great moments where i'm like god it's no wonder that comics are such a hard thing for people to break into you know what i mean like i was kind of like what did you think he was called like the target or circle gets the square or is the human target well, I know, I know, and if she'd yeah. known about the human target, she probably would have thought that it was actually him. Oh my God, this is the worst thing that has ever happened. Is this still guy ever? Uh, no, no, this is my other computer, which was like, "Hey, do you want an update?" I'm like, "Sure, why not?" But of course, it's the most <laughs> no, intrusive no, 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 update no, 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 ever. That's never the right. I know. Isn't it weird? Update. Like, you're just, would you like an update? What it's actually saying is, do you want me to make sure that you're not going to be able to do anything else in this computer for like seven hours? Right, and I figured since this was my other laptop, I would just go with it. But, you know, now it's like customize, install. It's like I just can't quick kick, click the buttons fast enough to make it fucking go away. And meanwhile, it's still like, do you want this to be your express server? I'm like, yes, okay, fine. Like, I don't even know what I'm making it do now. This can, is like can, the can we talk situation. about first world problems when you just said this is my other laptop? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. I know. I know. Exactly. What kind of horse's ass am I? And I'll be honest, people, neither of these two were the laptop that I was working on earlier, which was my wife's laptop. So <laughs> so if you want to come by and rob my house, <laughs> let me just give you the address. It'll be perfect. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I think you should give someone else's lap, uh, address out just to see what Oh, that would be great. I wish I knew someone else's address. Like, I'm like, shit. Like, you know, like give Hibbs' address or something oh, like that. God, can you imagine? Jeez. <laughs> okay. Also, I have to finish eating and it's it. So. Oh, see. Are you having nice weather over in San Francisco then? Yes, finally. Should I just talk now? You're quite clearly. Please do. <laughs> Come on. I do love you. You're like. Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> it's lovely. I, which part of I'm going to eat an instant now <laughs> confused you? I love this. Just before you start a podcast, we're like, face it, we're going to be talking for like two hours. You're like, you know what? I should actually open an ice cream thing that's going to melt if I don't finish it in the next 10 minutes. Wait, Ten minutes. I'll, I'll call Graham. <laughs> four, four and a half minutes. Four and a half minutes. I wow, literally. You've got, you've got some good weather there. Then. Yeah, it was like at one twenty-six. I'm like, I'm gonna run across. I gotta. I've gotta have an it's it. I've gotta have an it. It was. I don't know what was going on. That's when you sent me an email going like, "Ice cream emergency." We'll, I we'll talk. We'll talk in five minutes. As yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, This will work out. Come on. <laughs> it almost did, Graham. It was so close. You could have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those pesky kids. Yes, and by kids we mean Skype update. So, uh... <laughs> anyway, uh, how you doing? 
Uh, well, like you, I think I am also somewhat crabby, although I, I feel better having begun the process of talking to you and having, having, trying to have, watching Edie's consciousness, like, warp itself around the idea of Black Panther, the man without fear, fear itself, which was great. Actually, she then went on to suggest all sorts of other things that the Black Panther could be the man without, <laughs> uh, which was awesome. Um <laughs> Well, he can't be the man without fear anymore because Daredevil's back. That's why they've changed him to the most dangerous man alive. Oh, is that is that why they've changed the master? Because I was actually looking at it. I mean, here is like secret guilty confession number 306. I've been picking up the Black Panther book because the art on it is oh, it's, lovely. It's, it's Francesco, Franca Villa, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Franca Villa. Just absolutely gorgeous. And it's colored. I, I don't know if, if he's doing the colors on it, but it's amazing. It's just incredibly vibrant. And I have not been reading it at all. I'll pick it up. I'll flip through it. It's been on my pull list. Oh, I, 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 I can match you. I have been. I have not read an issue of um, House of Mystery for maybe a year, and yet it's been on my pull list the entire time. <laughs> it's been cancelled in like three months. I missed like the entire second half of the series, but I read them all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of weird when you have that. You're like, well, I'm going to sit down and read these. I hope. Well, not exactly, but it's also, like, the reason it's still in my pool list is Kate really likes it. Oh, good. But Kate also hasn't read it in about a year. Oh, so yeah. So probably know it's taken a massive nosedive, and neither of us actually know this. <laughs> well, and it, fortunately, it's kind of moot. I've got this series that's ongoing. Anyway, like I said, so I, I sat down to actually pick a, you know, to flip through it and read it, and in the course of it, you know, Black Panther had been asked by Matt Murdock to, like, take o- watch over his, you know, city, you know, his neighborhood while, while Matt Murdock... Is that off. the deal? Is that yeah, that's the deal. Yeah, he apparently asked Black Panther, like, to watch over Hell's Kitchen. So Black Panther takes over as the protector of Hell's Kitchen while getting his other uh, issues sorted out. And apparently Foggy Nelson has helped him get his... American citizenship or some sort of secret identity American citizenship. Okay, that, that's got to be wrong, right? Because, I mean, he's the king of a fucking African nation. Why is he trying to become an American citizen? Do, do they address that? You know, um, they do, which is interesting because... Uh, is it just is it a crazy bullshit-like response? I don't know. I'll be honest, Graham. You're like I don't even remember. I, I was going to I was going to recount a scene from the Eddie Murphy movie Coming to America... <laughs> And then I remembered I hadn't even seen it. So I was like, <laughs> I'm having real problems here. I was like, it's I think no it has something to do stuff. with Nick Nolte. You know what I mean? Like, He's like caught up on the edge. Exactly. Uh, and, but, yeah. I mean, that that's one of those plot things that no, just does not make any sense to me. Has he, has he been deposed? He hasn't been deposed. My understanding is he's, he's abdicated. The, I think, if I understand correctly, and this oh, is this entirely third hand, yes, because of Do More, I if I and and this is all fifth hand, and I think because I think it's really a terrible, terrible move for the character. If so, my understanding is because of Do More, um, T'Challa the Black Panther abdicates his throne and destroys all the vibranium in Wakanda. I know that he definitely did that, and I think he might have actually destroyed all the uh, vibranium in general. Or uh, inert or something. Interesting. Uh, he would have to. He would have to. That you know, considering the number of characters that have quasi vibranium type characteristics, like Captain America, Shield, and I think. Well, I can't remember if Ultron's vibranium and adamantium, or if he's just adamantium. 
And oh, for that I, matter, wasn't adamantium like some sort of vibranium compound, or am I wrong on that? No, no, I think you're right about that. And also, adamantium uh, had some great, great songs in the 1980s. <laughs> Prince Charming was really a, a classic stand yeah. and deliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, um, you don't drink, you don't smoke. What, what do you do? Um, uh, subtle innuendo flying, I think, must be something inside. See, I'm impressed. I knew you would have no problems. If I could just Photoshop a gift of you dressed as adamant dancing. Yeah, all you need is a photo of me and you can just like paint a white stripe over the face. Yeah, it'd be perfect. Oh, my goodness. Poor Adamant. I knew a girl in high school that I had such a crush on, and of course she had a huge crush on Adamant. And it was that classic, like, I'm like, well, I'm never going to have a chance in hell with her. Like, not only did I not have the war paint, but I would have to say I had nothing else that Adamant had. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I guess I did wear breeches to school every day. But apart from that, really, there was, there was, we had nothing in common. Nothing. The best thing is, uh, you and I got an email on the Wait What email address, which, ladies and gentlemen, is waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. Please write to us. Uh, just yesterday saying that we were too obsessed with the 80s. And we are disproving it by talking about Adam and the Ants. That's true. <laughs> oh, God. Now, was he Adam and the Ants and then he went on his solo career and As became Adam Ant? Yes. yes. Wow. So he got rid of all the other ants. He got rid of the ants, yeah. Now that's kind of a bullshit maneuver. Well, it's like, you know, uh, Daenerys and Supremes. What happens to Supremes, huh? Yeah, but, well, I'm not saying that I was crazy about that maneuver either, let me tell you. But, you know, like, <clears throat> I guess... I, I, I kind of wanted you to come up with, like, something that happens in Supremes. Oh, like, something that, had happened to them? Is. As I recall, <laughs> Alan Moore took over and then crafted a series of stunning Weisinger-era pastiches that you got sick and read... Uh, and was appalled by one year that you wrote about for Broken Frontier when you realized he was just <laughs> wow, ripping off really? a world's finest story just flat out. <laughs> that's that's really a blast from the past right there, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's all someone, accurate. Someone has followed my career. <laughs> a little too closely. <laughs> so I've got that little basement where it's got all the clippings and the photos of you and stuff and the little red string <laughs> connecting everything. <laughs> It's kind of awesome. I'll be like, no one understands. Alan Moore's just ripping other people off all the time. No one sees it but me. I just remember that because I was just like, because I love that run so much. And of course, and I appreciate you know, like, respect you. It's completely you. lifted from the, this other thing. And you're like, oh. Uh, I, you know, and yet I still had this weird like, and even now I'm still like, uh, no, that's just it. Like, I, I still like it. I think still like bizarrely is one of my favorite Alan Moore runs on anything. Oh, but that's he, interesting. He really is just like completely lifting it. Right. Right. Now it kind of, it kind of seemed like it was one of the, uh, and this will be able that listeners in the future will be able to know exactly what week in time we're talking about. It seemed a little bit like the Grant Morrison moment where suddenly it was like one person was like, he's a fraud and everyone turned, you know? Oh it God. Was like, oh, 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 all I'm going to say about that, and that's a complete lie, because you know I'm going to say a lot more. But <laughs> that that infuriated me. Did it now? That, Interesting. I, I f- this is why. Grant uh-huh. Morrison gives interviews where he says crazy shit, and he has done for decades. Yes. And it's almost as if at some point someone's like, wait, he's saying crazy shit that I don't agree with. 
clearly he must be Satan. And then the internet was like, yes, he is Satan. What happened? Like, when when did it a become unusual for Grant Morrison to say stupid shit, and mm-hmm. b when did it become reasonable for people to then take that to mean he's a soulless corporate bastard? It's, it was just weird. You know, I I well no 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 I I do think because I'm a little baffled by it too. I sort of feel that there is a. My theory, and I could be wrong, is is that it is an accumulation of small events. So that what you get is the person who has... And, and this is, may not be... This is not a, a, a precise characterization. It's sort of in broad strokes and just not applicable to everybody. But take the, the person who bought all the issues of Final Crisis and hated it and listened to everyone talk about how great it was. And weirdly enough, let's assume that this is a person on the internet who did not actually feel comfortable expressing themselves. I I know it sounds crazy, like that seems impossible, but I think these people do exist. And so you just kind of sit there going, yeah, I'm kind of pissed about Final Crisis, and, and I feel like the Emperor has no clothes. And then years later, suddenly someone starts to turn... And you get that chance to throw that rock. You know what I mean? It's really funny you said the Emperor has no clothes because that's honestly what it felt like. (laughs) But it felt like a weird – the Emperor has no clothes, so let's pile on him forever mentioning clothes at any point ever. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It felt like really, really – and it's nothing new. The internet does this all the time. But – I don't know, it just seemed really, really weird. It seemed like people had been waiting for an excuse to be with Jerelic about Grant Morrison. Uh huh. Yes, and there's I, I really let's face it, innocuous like interview, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and people were like, "He said shit about Chris Ware." Well, fuck him. And then it was just like, "What? Huh? What? <laughs> what happened?" Well, here's yeah. another thing that sort of that sort of screwed me up was um, the excerpts that I read online from that Rolling Stone interview are kind of not. No, exactly. He, did, he wasn't really saying shit about anyone. He was pretty much being like, I don't like it. Yeah, but but he's also, I don't know, at least at least for Morrison, where there are parts where he has um, sort of clever, well-established lines and things where he's just kind of half-blathering on the phone. Like some of the parts that he was talking about where he was complaining about Dan Klaus or Chris Ware, they don't sound like fully formed thoughts. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, I don't like this guy... He just always kind of strikes me as, eh, you know? And it, those are the kinds of quotes when you do an interview, you either send it to the person to have them clean that up more, or you kind of cut it, you know? Because it doesn't, yeah. well, it doesn't it was really, really make any re- it sense. It was a really, really weird interview. It honestly read like offcuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, particularly, the, again, the excerpts that I read uh, uh, online, and I haven't read the full the full thing, the few where it's like, here's a couple of choice quotes, really struck me as shit that we had to cut because the editor wasn't sure what was saying, but I wanted to put in here. Yeah, and, well, well, if you read the the yeah. published piece, it's an entirely different piece. Ah, interesting. Like, and I imagine... None, none of those subjects are even really in there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the, the online version is really gossipy as well. It's like, so, Mark Miller, huh? What happened there? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a weird, gossipy, fanboyish interview. Well, actually, you know, agreed... Absolutely agreed. Although the thing that strikes me about the whole Mark Miller thing is like, wow, this is an official talking point. Like, you know, Mark Miller is 
a big name in the sense of like you know I don't think that you know the co- the person on the street doesn't know them, but the person on the street knows Kickass for yeah, example, sure, sure, or Wanted, and therefore. Holly, like the majority of Hollywood reporters know Mark Miller or, or know the name enough to start making these connections. So in a way, like if you look back to when Miller and Morrison were giving interviews in the 90s, they were both kind of like, oh, yeah, comics are going to change and blah, blah, blah. And it's going to be another new big wave and we're going to be on top. And then this weird thing of like, wow, they're not friends at all anymore. But they are enough on top to where you can actually have people talking about them, I guess. You know what I mean? Who yeah. don't necessarily know them. Mm-hmm. So in, in that sort of weird way that you find out that like Robin Williams and Christopher Reeve were like roommates in college or something like that, you know, it's like it's that weird fact that you like bring up like how weird is it that you're or like Al Gore was like roommates with uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Isn't that strange? Seriously? Yeah, I, I don't know. Awesome. There's this website called sexyfamousroommates.com that you can go to and you can input a name and it will I tell you. I can't tell you how much I hope that that website is actually real and you're not. <laughs> it, spoiler, it's not. But I, it would be I awesome. Hope, I so wish. I so wish it was real. I can't tell you. But I, I do also think, like, did you read Paul I, I never. I always say Gravat, but as Lauren Davis points out, I pronounce everyone's last name wrong. Paul Gravitt's piece on uh, Grant Morrison. No, it, I, I, sorry, you I, can figure out what he's saying. Yeah, I love the way you said no. <laughs> well, no, part of it is because I'm kind of over Grant Morrison interviews right now. Right, like Super Gods has really just taken me over the top. Right. Yeah. No, it will, and I think that's. I kind of had that same thing where I think Paul Gravett made some, I guess, some pretty good points. Although there was a few points where, with his language, I was like, "Wow, you know, Paul Gravett had interviewed Grant Morrison on stage back in blah blah blah, like in two thousand four or whatever." I don't know if their relationship soured or this is just something, but he's kind of like, "I'm like, wow, Paul Gravett is also playing the company stooge card a lot heavier than I thought he would." You know like, what I mean? What's really funny is seeing um, Allison and David Is It Mary talking about it on Twitter afterwards, uh-huh. where David was essentially saying, you know, I, I, I'm surprised by how corporate he seems. And Allison's like, well, he's 50 years old and he's worked for the same company for the last, like, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, how revolutionary do you think he's going to be? And I think everyone who seems sort of disappointed in Morrison for sounding corporate... Mm-hmm. thinks that he is still like the Grant Morrison who wrote The Invisibles, which was at this point, 12 years ago when it or, finished Right, it finished, but I mean even The Filth, I mean The Filth is is pretty furious in its what you would think of as a um, what's the word a very, it's, a, it's a very sub, it's, not, it's not clean and squeaky clean and corporate I mean the first Sea Guy series is, is devastatingly anti-corporate and, and so I think it is easy to be like um, to, it, it's, I think it's hard for people to reconcile opposites within the same person but those, those opposites do exist you know, like you can be Mr. Like smash the state. I mean, God knows I say smash the state 
a dozen times a day, even while part of it is like, man, I sure hope the protesters don't fuck up Bart when I'm on my way home from work. You know what I mean? Like, it's this weird reckon... Or like, um, for me, the problem was like... uh, liking Eminem's first two or three albums so much and just thinking they were so brilliant and then listening to him in interviews and thinking he sounded like the biggest idiot in the world, you know? Or or Bob Dylan, who means a ton to me. Um, but you hear Bob Dylan talk about shit and there's times where it's like, man, I would not let that guy give me any, you know, lessons about female equality or, you know, I, I don't know, what car to buy like you know it just seems like he has terrible taste in some things he's brilliant at what he does but we i think we kind of fall into the creator as superhero trap a little bit you know and when we do and then we find out that the people are just human i you know it almost feels like it's as much embarrassment as anything else you know you're really bizarrely tying into a question i wanted to ask you when i like last night out of nowhere i was like i have to ask jeff this (laughs) <laughs> Which it's only because you say creator superhero. Uh huh. Um, a lot of people, a lot of publishers, I should say, talk about these days that um, people don't follow that there hasn't been a successful superhero created <laughs> or, or a successful character created in like twenty years, or the right. last truly successful character has been. Sure. My question to you is: Is that because readers stopped caring about characters and started caring more about creators? Have the creators become the new superheroes? Um, uh, you know, it's tough because we have to split this question up. I know that you and I both tend to shorthand things, and I think it's it's worth pointing outside of the box. But um, uh, in terms of saying, like, within the realms of the big two, because, of course, we have weird situations where, um, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure if the person's, like, counting Hellboy within no, that. No, but are you – I, but, Alvin, I'm not. So this, I guess what right. I'm asking is, if you think about Hellboy, if Mike Mignola stopped working on Hellboy altogether, right, and Hellboy was suddenly taken over by uh, Tom Pear and Doug Mankey, right? Okay, who well, I can see doing a perfectly fine Hellboy. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be the same character, and he wouldn't have the same success, and he wouldn't have the same following. Uh, so I, I, again, I think, I, think creator, I agree. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. the creator is more important than the character there. It's just yeah. the, the creator stuck with the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and uh, I think that's a good point and, and does bring me to the, the basic... Yeah, I do, th- I do think that people follow creators, that they do follow... Because there's no... I think we've seen too many situations where you either have a character that has been around for... 70 years and has been exploited has so many different titles and so many different media that you kind of couldn't follow it all uh, and or if you did you rapidly saw how they became um, meaningless you know what I mean like and this this is that other thing I think when you know when Morrison talks about like sigils and icons and all the other stuff that he's he like breaks out and blabs about uh, you know Super. All it takes is five or six bad years for Superman to mean barely anything. You know what I mean? Like inherently, the character itself. We have things that we believe or we think about Superman, but if you could put the wrong creator in there and they're inexplicably popular, then you start getting people going. Well, that's not my Superman. And I think at some stage you just kind of go, "Oh wait, like." I shouldn't really be following Superman anyway. I yeah, should I, be following. I don't really care about Superman. 
Right. What I care about. It's a little bit like what we were saying about Captain America in, I don't know, our last podcast or the podcast previous of like, I never really like connected with the character. He never really spoke to me in a, boy, I wish I could be that guy. But the number of creators that worked on him that just did top-notch work, you know, that was what kept, that's why I have this collection in my long box of Captain America's that's so extensive, you know? So I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I think what, what's interesting to me is like, so are you saying that we're at a stage where there essentially can be no successful characters anymore? Yeah. You can I, only I, have... I think, I think the current audience, by which I really mean the direct market audience, because mm-hmm. I think the digital audience could completely upset this, but sure. I think the direct market audience is so attuned to creators mm-hmm. that it is impossible to create a successful character on the level of a Wolverine or a, you know, definitely a Superman or a Batman. I, I, I think it would just cannot happen because of the expectations of the readership. Interesting. You know, I, 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 th- I, th- I thought I'd just throw that small theory out there. Right. No, well, and I mean, it's, it's a big, it's, it's, it's a really interesting idea. And it actually makes me think of the column that you wrote about, which I. Is this, is this I, the, the one I did yesterday that I've not even checked the comments of after seeing Joe Keating? Oh, oh! Did Joe Keating lay into you on? on I haven't Ro- even seen. I just saw that he said he was going to comment. Oh, Part man. of me was just like, I'm not even going to read those comments until I'm, I, I'm in a better mood. Uh, this would be your Robot Six column where you were talking about Kirkman and Image, right? Yeah, where I just find it really, really depressing. I guess mm-hmm. that creators are like, I'm going to create something that I own. I'm going to create something for me. Are then like I want to see this become a property afterwards. Like that's that's really like they're completely within the power to do it, and I can completely understand the I like this character so much that I want to read the stories myself. I just find something really depressing about it then becoming well, let's pass it to creative team to creative team, and it becomes work for hire. I, I well, think there's something really sad about that. I, I, on the one hand, I totally agree with you. Uh, on, on the other hand, I feel like I should point out, and I'm sure you're aware, that in many ways, Image Comics is sort of a weird alchemical miracle that it published anything beside that at all. Oh, no, I know, it, no, I know. You know what I mean? I know, yeah, when it first started, holy crap, it became work fire really quickly. Super. Like, within the first year, those guys were were setting up work for hire houses to crank out their titles. And it really is a miracle that they've, you know, have turned out anything since in that way. What is kind of a shame is, is that it does feel like this weird perennial cycle, you know, of... It, it is a... I got really bummed when Kirkman opened his whatever the fuck his imprint was. Skybound. Skybound, right? Where Sky he was going to publish Witch Doctor, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And and one of the first questions were they were like, you know, so like, what are the terms of the deal like between you and the creators? Are you do you get a first share of the media rights or? And he's like, you know what? I just don't feel. I'm sorry, I don't feel comfortable talking about that. And the person let it go, but it was clearly this idea of like. Oh, this is kind of his. This is kind of his house. You know what I mean? This well, is his. Like I'm but, building but, my brand and imprint. But to be fair to Kirkman, mm-hmm. uh, in part because I might not have been fair to him yesterday, taking him to task for him saying on on Wordbloom that he wanted to essentially pass on <laughs> Invincible to someone else. Right. Um, he said someone. Uh, 
John Suntress essentially asks him that thing in a in a different way, as in like, what is Skybound set up to do? Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's set up to do anything. So Witch Doctor, for example, is completely owned by the guy who guys who own Witch Doctor. But mm-hmm. at the same time, if Kirkman wants to develop an idea and give it to someone else, he can do that. If Kirkman wants to approach creators with ideas he's had or approach creators he likes and wants to see get more coverage, then he can do that. He said, like, basically, it's set up for him to publish stuff he wants to publish, mm-hmm. no matter what it is. So I can understand why he would, he would be like, you know, I don't want to talk about that. Because the real answer is, it depends on the project. Right. I can't, I can't say what I'm discussing with these guys. But to me, there's also that level, to me, in business, that always means like, well, I can't really tell you because then everyone else I want, deal with will want the next thing. Like, I'm not saying that I'm screwing them, but I've reserved the rights to screw you later on down the road. <laughs> I'm not you know? saying that I'm screwing them. However. However, they are walking funny. Well, and, and we, when we were talking several weeks ago about the idea that, you know, in, in our ultra depressing episode where we, we were sort of talking about how nobody, I felt like nobody but Miller had really sort of picked up that mantle of wanting to do more than just make a fucking TV show. You do feel, I do feel with Kirkman that, that Skybound looks like it might, it, it's not there yet, but it does have the potential for him to be like, I'm trying to make a new situation in comics and I'm trying to make it be something that's applicable to than just me. You know what I mean? Like yeah, if yeah. he's trying to build his own Im- imprint, you know, where he has varying degrees of, Latitude, where it's just comics that he likes that he wants to get out there and or properties he wants to develop, that sh- that definitely shows more ambition than like, oh, hey, look at me. I'm watching the pilot of Powers and I've got a big boner right now, you know? So, <laughs> for example, not to pull any... I don't know who that would I would be talking about in that situation. That's entirely uh, that creator X, you know? <laughs> Although Creator X did a great job in the Brotherhood, so wait, did Bendis do the Brotherhood? No, the writer of the Brotherhood is called X. Do you remember? Oh yeah, Howard Mackey or whoever Good it turned job out to be. Outing yourself, the Creator X. Yeah, damn it! <laughs> Seriously, that would I be the best. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, this is so embarrassing. Yes, everybody, it's true. I did write Brotherhood. Uh, if anyone wants to, like, wait what podcast at gmail.com, I will answer all your questions related to this ill fated new Marvel series that I did not read, but apparently created and wrote. So, you, you did a great job. No one else ever really took credit for that, did they? No, and actually, someone asked. Tom Brevoort, maybe? Someone asked someone at Marvel recently. Uh-huh. Basically, you know, it's ten years later. Come on, who was it? And the response was, we're never going to tell you. Wow. Wow. I, God. You know, it really could be one of comics' great mysteries if anyone gave a shit. But, uh, you I, know. I kind of give a shit. Do you? Did you read the book? No. You could go... <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. If you read... If you cared no, enough he, to actually... Here's, here's why I give the shit. The uh-huh. two leading con- oh the three leading contenders as to who wrote this book. Do you remember right. who, who the three leaders were? Uh, I want to say it, it, Howard Mackey. Yes. Uh, Brian Wood. No. Was he not one of the contenders? No. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's Howard, uh, Mackey, Howard Mackey, Bill Jameis. Yes. And Peter and... Milligan was the third. No, I never heard Peter yes. Milligan. 
Really? Yes, and that's why I kind of because that's a widespread right there. Well, yeah, we should really read the book so we would know, right? I mean, you would think. Well, you I, think it, so, but I mean, remember that uh, Milligan wrote some atrocious. Oh, his uh, stuff was yeah, completely shitty. I mean, uh, he he turned out some wretched work, and of course, then there was uh, X Force, which was quite delightful in many ways. Um, Actually, I'm really curious about Justice League Dark. After have you been seeing all the Twitter DC creators essentially saying, "I read this book and I've read this book lately"? No, no. This no. last week, a lot of them have been like, oh, "I just read this; it's really good." And quite a few people were like, "I read Justice League Dark, and it's kind of fucking stunning." Yeah, like there's a there's a genuine sense of, you know, I can't say I thought this book would be bad. However, this book worked really good. Right. Right, right, right. Which I thought was kind of fascinating. Well, it is, you know, I, I should should mention for those, the many listeners who don't follow us on Twitter, that uh, James Macenti, I hope I got his name right for a change, um, asked us which were the, the books that we thought had had done over 100,000 in pre-order numbers of the DC relaunch, apart from Justice League. And, of course, we made our guesses, and then someone wisely told us that someone had revealed the... The figures at a later date, anyway. But it was—I thought our guesses were pretty good, and I kind of yeah, thought although, Justice League Dark had Justice a shot. League Dark, which I thought uh-huh. was a, a bold choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I kept hearing good buzz about it, even at the retailer level. I mean, and I don't know where. Like, I think went from reading the various previews of the retail roadshow on Bleeding Cool. I, I, like I, I think Justice League Dark is going to be like a mid-level book. Yeah, I think so. I think it's going to start. Given the characters and given the creators, I think. Yeah, it's kind of that thing of. I realized when we compared our our lists, I mean, the difference was I think you went and pretty much picked the Jeff Johns books. So it's not really like Aquaman's a better pick than Wonder Woman, which was my other pick over the 100K. That looking back on it now seems totally crazy. Um, But, you know, we'll see. God, that. I, I, we'll see about Wonder Woman. That art looks fantastic. The art looks Wonder- fantastic, but hearing Brian Azarel call it a horror book just makes me think, oh dear. Well, I, not, I, not I, even not even oh dear from a quality perspective, but right, right, just an oh dear. I, good, good luck trying to sell. Yeah. Um, you know, a horror Wonder Woman comic to people. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I kind of I I when he says a horror book, knowing Azarello, I half think that he means. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh god, please don't let this be like Full Metal Jacket with Amazons. You know what I mean? But I almost half think that he's like, yeah, I'm doing a War is Hell. Uh, you know, it's like I always wanted to do my version of you know 300 or whatever, and I'm doing it with an all female Amazon cast, and Wonder Woman's the ultimate warrior who, in the midst of unending bloodshed, decides to become a hero or something. We'll see. I, and I just. You know, Azarello, I don't necessarily, you know, um, sort of. I'll be curious to see what. Are you interested in. You're not really an Azarello man. Like, I was going to say, like, I, are you excited I'm, about I'm Space not Man? An but you're not. Man. Uh, yeah. Trying to think what Azarello I've really liked. I write, like the Doctor 13. Yes, Doctor 13. Is it Architects and. Is it. Architects Immortality? Is that what it's that called? That sounds right. I'm just, I'm trying to, in case there are listeners who want to know what, you know. It, it hey, is. I, I think that's what it's called as a collection. I think it's called Doctor 13 Architects Immortality. Yeah, I um, think that's right. I, that might be it for all the Azrael I really <laughs> like. 
I've not oh, read a lot, as we said. I, 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 there's a lot of Azarello that like I've read parts of, but wasn't enamored enough to keep reading. Right. Yeah. No, I enjoy. For example, I've not finished 100 Bullets. Oh, I didn't even come close. I think I made it about 30 issues in, and it just came like it was so. It was that was so hard for me because Eduardo Rizzo's art, I adore, I love, but. Azarello's work on it was just I was like ah I just felt like the whole thing was just unraveling and there's a lot of people who went on to to keep reading it who loved it so I don't know maybe I should give it a go it's Doctor 13 Architecture and Morality by Brian Azarello and Cliff Chang and it was that was great I'm just mentioning it since I got the name somewhat wrong uh his Superman was terrible I liked his Johnny Although, Double I, see, his Superman was terrible but then when I read it as a collected edition it's much less terrible in the winter. I believe that. I totally believe that. I think dragged out as far as it was, it was bad. Although I don't know, man. Isn't I uh, really like you're like, hey, that section where he fights hey, Mount I, Rushmore was. I'm awesome. not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's not as bad as it seems when it first came well, out. Well, yeah, all right, but I, I, okay. As long as you're making, as long as you're properly damning it with faint praise, uh, then I, I will. I, w- I won't give you any more grief about it, but um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I know there's other Azarello stuff that I've liked where I actually thought that some of it was pretty. Yeah, it's, I, that's why I was like, yeah, I guess that's all the Azarello like. I was kind of like, I'm sure there's more. I just can't think of anything else. My problem is, is that he's got such amazing collaborators. Like he did, he did that six issue miniseries for Marvel Cage, of course. That was Luke Cage, Power Man. Uh, a very different take on it. But that Super was different take. Terrible. The art was gorgeous, though. Richard Corbin's art was fucking beautiful. Yeah, the, but the, the, did you did you read the book? Yes, and it was fucking awful. It was the worst. It was a a. It was a fucking ripoff of Yojimbo, and b. It wasn't even a good ripoff of Yojimbo. So I mean, it was this horrible like. Hey, I'm gonna rip off this this movie. No one's really seen this, right? Oh, but don't worry. In case you have seen it, I'm not actually going to end it in any coherent way. Don't worry. You wouldn't even know. I uh, see Hellblazer. I'm now looking down his list of credits. It's Hellblazer. He didn't particularly like. Uh, oh, it started off fantastic, though. Again, the Corbin piece where he's in prison. I thought that bit with with where Corbin's trying it and Constantine's in prison. I thought was was. Lovely. I thought that was the best take on the character in years, and then it nosedived almost immediately after that. His Lex Luthor and Joker, I wasn't particularly a fan of. People yeah, seem to like those. Like, but... Looks like I didn't really like much of it. <laughs> You're because, like, mm, yeah. Bizarrely, I what I did like was what little I read of First Wave. What, I'm sorry, was what? What little I read of First Wave. Oh, right. Interesting. You like that, huh? Yeah. Fascinating. Just to be contrary. Today is my contrary day. Just wait until I start talking about Dark Knight. And then we'll get contrary. Oh, see, this is the problem. Ah, damn it. I didn't... I still haven't... Okay, I look forward to talking about this, although it's going to be a wretched conversation because I didn't hunt up my copies. But uh, Well, we can we can table it to next week. I think we should table it to next week as much as... Just because I would like to have a, a chance at a fair fight with you. Because I'm going to come off as pretty pathetic and old man-ish in, in my arguments anyway. So. Uh, ladies and gentlemen in the audience, uh, the reason we're talking about this is I read Dark Knight. What's it actually called? Dark Knight Strikes Again? Dark Knight Strikes Again. 
I, I, I finished that for the first time this week because I remember I started it when it was coming out and was like, oh, this is atrocious. I'm not going to continue reading it. And then because of the wonder <laughs> of the library, I was like, I can finish it for no, you know, no input other than my time. How bad can it be? People, you know, it's had this critical retrospect of people being like, no, it's actually great. I was like, right. I'm going to see if I was wrong. And I realized that I'm not wrong. And it is the greatest example of an old man shouting at you that I think I've ever read. And I totally disagree with that. And Jeff was like, no. I I really was. My reply was strongly disagree because I just, I'm, yeah, I just. I I love the idea that anyone can think that this is a, a book that. It is is the work of anyone under like fifty years old who hates youngsters and wants them to get off their lawn and has heard about this thing called the internet that's full of sex. I just love that. I love the idea that people who are actually engaged in the modern world could read this and think anything other than oh. <laughs> and yet, and yet, I did. I mean, do. Are we going to go into this? Are no, we going no, no, to... let's leave it. I think I just want. Oh to my god! This is like the world's worst teaser. This is like, yeah, you're, you've been watching pro wrestling or something. This is like the thing where like somebody comes out to Jeff, get interviewed Jeff, and Jeff, get shoved Jeff, around Jeff, a little bit. Jeff, you're going down. What's that? You're going down. <laughs> that is the world's politest wrestling taunt. <laughs> I didn't even understand what you were doing. I'm like, what is my volume off? What's wrong? Hold on, let me. <laughs> oh my god! What was it? What did I say in email that I was going to say because I was having such a bad day? And then you oh. said I could actually say it because no one would think I was so I was that angry. Oh yes, fuck waffles and fuck you and fuck the internet. Yes, Especially yeah. You creator, I'm not good to name. <laughs> wow, you had me on the edge of my chair for a minute. Oh, my God. <laughs> did you think I was actually going to name I, I kind of did. I kind of did. And, uh, no, yes. I'm, no I'm, not, I'm not that stupid. I know you're not. And it's, but I was like, ooh, like you, you had me on the edge of my chair here. I, yes, almost, no, I almost named the franchise he works on, though. Oh, speculation. But then I thought even that was a really bad idea. Yeah, that's like, oh, no, that's not a good idea. Uh, yes. The the fact that you were going to start it off with fuck you and fuck waffles uh, or no, it's fuck, it's waffles, fuck waffles and, and, fuck, and fuck, you. fuck you. Yeah, which is great. I love that. Like that, that, that I'm like, if ever there's going to be a slogan for the anti wait what, it would be fuck waffles and fuck you. It's bizarre. Wait what? It is. I um, love Rob Liefeld. <laughs> Yes. Um, oh, can I tell you? Can I tell you my one Frank Miller thing that, that is not actually about Dark Knight Strikes again? Yes, please. So they did another teaser for Holy Terror last week. The the new Miller book that's coming out soon. Yes. And uh, so I someone I think David Brothers said on Twitter like you know this said it would be great or it's going to be horrible. Mm-hmm. And I said I I'm fully expecting it to be greatly horrible. <laughs> and someone who has read it got in contact and they were like you have no idea how bad this book is they're like you might think that it's bad <laughs> this is so bad it will kill his career that's really? actually what they said wow wow um which you know, again as reverso bizarro marketing makes me want to read it more makes you want to read it of course yeah. of course yeah well, and this will be my point, I think, when we talk about Dark, Dark Knight Strikes Again, is is that I feel that 
what I find fascinating about Dark Knight Strikes Again is that it is, among other things, the idea that Miller is working at comics from a very different place from where he worked in the first half of his career, which on the one hand seems sort of obvious, but um, when I look at the stuff for Holy Terror, I sometimes think that it's going to be like his attempt to... How's the, how's the term for it? it to To bring a comic book from 1938 like into 2000 and blank. Because I think at the time he was thinking it was going to be 2002, 2003. And now that he's redrawn it, I think it's going to be something else. I really think that it's going to be like, we're going to look at it and go, this is kind of a disturbing piece of shit. And he's going to be like, yes, exactly. You know, like, I, and, and I think that seems like sort of a cheap cop out. Wait, what, what does that mean? Yes, exactly. Um, yes, exactly. In that, I think. How can I describe this? Um, yes, exactly. Is in this is not what you should want, or yes, exactly. In the, isn't it awesome? Or yeah, maybe in a yes, yeah, in a isn't it awesome kind of thing. In that, that I think that um, Miller, like a lot of dudes, <laughs> once they turn fifty. Uh, think that have have no patience for anyone else's sentimentality except their own i guess and so i think his thing and you see this a little bit in dark knight strikes again where i would argue that the point of the whole book is about unshackling the characters from their corporate chastity belts i guess um I sort of feel like Holy Terror is the idea of, like, remember, here, here's how comics were in 1939. They were A, crudely drawn, B, racist, C, offensive, D, violent, and yet E, in, in you know, I think in, in Miller's case, awesome. Like, he's almost, it's almost like, you know how, like, Art Spiegelman did in The Shadow of Two Towers, and it's like, half of it was his comics, and half of it were the comics that he dearly loves. Um, I sort of feel, and you know, and you see how he's trying to sort of wrestle with an attempt to sort of bring those things into the modern worldview, and yet still keep them, but sort of... I don't know, contemporize them. I kind of feel that that's what Holy Terror is going to do. And, and of course, Miller being Miller and being, I think, honestly, somewhat greedy and also a little bit of a um, turd is going to charge way more money <laughs> for it than just putting it on the web for free or charging a dime for it or something like that. He's going to make sure that he gets paid off of it. But I think that he, what he really does want is he wants to recapture the 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 griminess and shittiness of a, a comic book from thirty eight as a guy who probably loves the griminess and shittiness of the original comic books. Like he went back and he's like, I love these, these are worthwhile. This is like the Fletcher Hanks stuff. Like I could see someone like Miller reading the Fletcher Hanks books and being like, Yes, this stuff is insane and it's mean and I like that, you know? I don't know. I could be wrong because, of course, I haven't even I haven't read anything more than just the f- first few previews where I was like, "Oh my god!" Where it struck me where like even 
Oh my god. I really did. I had that thing of like even for Miller, even for Miller, I felt like Miller's line was he was deliberately like like it just felt to me like like I, he's like okay, time to get on the A train now and draw some pages. You know what I mean? Like I don't really feel like he was like trying to I don't I I had that thing of like come on, Frank, you can draw prettier than this and I and I really did get the sense that he's like, yeah, yeah, I know I can. I'm but that's that's not what I'm after. I I I, I think and it, we're yeah. we're talking about Dark Knight Strikes again. again. I, <laughs> I think I think he's already doing that in Dark Knight Strikes again. Some mm-hmm. of the art in which is astonishingly breathtakingly lazy. Okay. I th- I think it's the same thing. I think he's mm-hmm. like, why, well, you know, these are supposed to be hacked out. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, or he's also working... I mean, keep in mind that I feel that Dark Knight Strikes Again, his influences in that, like, one of his big... One of the big influences in Dark Knight Strikes Again, especially by the time the conclusion rolls around, is uh, Harvey Kurtzman, you know? Like, Kurtzman's a huge influence in Dark Knight Strikes Again, and, in fact, it's... It's Mad, Mad Magazine, the comic book years, is I think the one of the shaping forces behind the conclusion of Dark Knight Strikes Again. You know, um, I, and this is this is why I was like, oh, I'm going to sound so bad. Because here's the thing, Grab. My my moment of reflected glory was I reviewed Dark Knight Strikes Again, the last issue, while Hibbs was away at San Diego Comic Con, uh, and Harris Miller, who is Frank. Miller's like friend and attorney Lawyer, and agent, yeah. yeah, saw my inter- saw my review and thought that it was so dead on that he basically like showed it to Miller and 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 he showed it to Rich Johnston. So I ended up like my I it was the first time I ever made it into um, uh, bleeding in the gutters. No, lying in the lying gutters. In the gutters? But didn't he have another name before that too, where it was like uh, anyway. way way back when it was Rich's Ramblings? Oh, okay, no, it wasn't that. It must have been lying in the gutters. Anyway, it was one of these things where I was like, "Holy shit!" And because it had been such a weird, slow week, it was like the first or second story in the in the column, and and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I spoke very briefly with Harris Miller on the phone. He actually called the called Comics Experience while I was working. He's like, <laughs> "Yeah, I just want you to know, I read your review and." I had been talking to to Frank like when the project was coming together and the things that he said that came out of his mouth I literally saw in your review and he was like I just wanted to let you know and I was like oh my god like well, was that kind of weird before we talk about the book properly next week I'm going to be reading that review then <laughs> yes let's see if you can find it thanks to the miracle of our terrible archive system so uh, <laughs> Good luck, you. No, I'm sure you'll. I'm sure you'll turn it up. But um, so for me, my take on it at the time was that the the biggest influences on Dark Knight Strikes Again were Kurtzman's Mad, and that it was it, especially with the third issue, it was like Miller was doing sort of the biggest budgeted underground comic book of all time. You know, it's just it's just anarchy and fuck you. It's 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 Batman doing it's it's the Sex Pistols doing Batman. You know, and but I th- see again. I'd argue it's not for me. For me, it's someone who doesn't understand the Sex Pistols doing what they think the Sex Pistols do doing Batman. Interesting. Does that make sense? Like punk is punk is uh, 
Punk was very much, I think, mischaracterized by especially the older British establishment when it was mm-hmm. coming up. Mm-hmm. And it's that mischaracterization, it's that misunderstanding of of um, what it means to be young mm-hmm. and what it means to be young and angry and what it means to be I don't want to say hopeless, but um, what it means to actually feel like an outsider and rail against that system mm-hmm. while still having your own moral codes as weirdly flawed as that moral code may be. It's the misunderstanding of that that I got from Dark Knight Strikes Again. Well, yeah. So I, I would say... Which is, why, which is why for me it's like it's an old man's book. <laughs> Does that make sense? Well, it does, although weirdly you've tailored the argument in such a way with in those definitions, like, yeah, you win, but I kind of can't see, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, well, what'd you frame it that way? I mean, because no, no, it is that tough situation. Yeah, but I mean, beyond that, there's also things like, I think the art is amazingly lazy. I think some of the writing is terrible. I think Frank Miller should never, ever, 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 ever attempt satire ever again <laughs> I think someone should try and steal his computer and pen away from him when he thinks he's going to try and comment on society especially on media but the thing that's crazy is is that Miller has been commenting on satire I, I mean has satirically been commenting sure, on yeah, but just for the majority of his career yeah but that know? doesn't mean that all of a sudden he's like yes here's my military man General Starbucks Here's mm-hmm. the the um, press secretary of presence. His name is Prick. I mean, that's <laughs> not satire. That's that. That's just as horrible. It's insulting. I, and and I, for all the the whole like you know the internet's just about sex, like <laughs> all of that or and the Valley Girl talking the whole thing. It, it made my eyes bleed. If it had been done exactly the same script had been done by anyone who wasn't Miller, people would not be letting that shit go. Well, and at the time, people didn't, frankly. I no, mean, no, but again, they have now. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, well, yeah, no, 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 they totally have now. rehabilitation that I right. don't think it deserves. Um, I, you know, I'm very much on the edge with you. I kind of think that it was... I, I, it's not the, the stuff about Miller that I enjoy the most, but honestly, I think in terms of what he was doing and what he wanted to do, he succeeded. I think, to me... Dark Knight Strikes Again feels like a, a complete work and a successful work, even if there are things I don't necessarily agree with. Whereas by the time you get to All Star Batman and Robin, I feel like it's too late. Like I feel like you know, for I feel like it's too far gone. Where and honestly, I think both of those have certain elements of like, geez, you're going to pay me to do this? Okay, just remember you asked for it, you know? Well, I think, I think All-Star Superman, All-Star Batman rather, really does. All-Star yeah. Batman, on almost every issue, has a moment of, I can't believe I'm going to get away with this. But exactly. I know that I'm going to get away with this. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and, and, and hugely. And some people enjoy that a lot. I think that, I think I enjoyed it more in Dark Knight Strikes Again, because like you said, even even with some of the laziness, I also felt he was deliberately trying to. I think I think I told you there there was a stage where I realized that Miller had become a cartoonist, 
You know what I mean? Like, well, I think I think that this book like really, really firmly shows that. I, I, yeah. I think that there has come a point, and I'm not. I mean, I'm not sure when that point is. Sin City, perhaps, mm-hmm. where he becomes, where what he wants to do with his art shifts. Yes. Dramatically. Yeah. Um, and Dark Knight Strikes Again has a lot of that. Has a lot yeah. of just outright cartooning, for want of a better way of putting it. Really. This that's not actually what I mean when I talk about lazy art. Uh, there are parts, right. you know, there are parts where he's like, you know, here is my relatively, you know, within Frank Miller rules, realistic Superman and Batman, and here is a crazy ass Jay Leno caricature on the same page. Right. right. But that that's not that's not the lazy art to me. It's it's within that even there are pages and there are panels where it's just, I you know, it almost feels like he had to get the page out the door that morning. And he had left some panels blank, and he has maybe ten minutes to do ten panels. <laughs> interesting, interesting. I, I just because like the line work seems weirdly slow, sloppy. What's right. kind of fascinating to me though is there are points where the line work really reminded me of not Miller, but Kyle Baker's Frank Miller impersonation. Yeah, that's really funny. Um, but what's fascinating is in the the credits for the book, mm-hmm. Kyle Baker's thanked. Oh, interesting! Wow, I wonder if Kyle Baker ghosted a couple of. He, he gets uh, he gets a special thanks, and so I wonder if Kyle Baker is drawing part of Dark Knight Strikes Again. That would be one of the best conspiracy theories ever. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if if Miller was aware of Baker's work and his parody of him, and kind of went, "I like it," because the computer coloring in Dark Knight Strikes Again actually reminds me a lot more of what Baker. Oh God, yeah, it's really close to what Baker was doing at the time. Yeah, much closer than, than of course, the, the previous stuff that you'd seen with Miller and Varley. So I, I read these two books. I, I read uh, Dark Knight Returns to Dark Knight Strikes Again in the Absolute Dark Knight collection, mm-hmm. um, which has the special thanks for both books on the same page. Oh, interesting. And it's really telling who who is thanked for each book. Right. Dark Knight Returns, thanks. Bill Finger, Dave Fleischer, Mike, uh, Max Fleischer, Jerry Robinson, Joe Schuster, Jerry Siegel, and Dick Spryne. Mm-hmm. Strikes again, thanks. Kyle Baker, James Schalke, <laughs> Tony Millionaire, Jim Morrison, Alex Sinclair, Jeff Smith, Paul Pope, Dennis Schultz. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you just just from that, you can tell that his interests have just massively shifted. Right. Well, and this is this is one of those things. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember, but one of the things that James Kolshaka said about Dark Knight Strikes Again is he's like, I really like it. It reads like a... It reads like a Batman comic created by, you know, a guy living in an apartment on his MacBook with his girlfriend doing the coloring, you know. And it was kind of, kind of was like supposedly Miller's visit to the small press expo before Dark Knight Strikes Again was super, super, super instructive for him and influential on where he wanted to go. Like, I, 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 I can see that. But again, this for me gets back to my whole it's an old man trying to be young. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the, the right. whole thing feels artificial, well, okay, and artificial, so, and just off enough that right. I'm always aware that it's a construct. Well, here's the here's the thing. I I I think I can concede that point, but to me, that's very different from you know old man saying, "Hey, you kids, get off my lawn." It's more like 
if oh, you said that it was uh, more I, like I an know, old I, man saying like, he, hey, kids, come on my lawn and we'll have a big beer party. No, but I, I, that's, I really get the off my lawn so much more. God, the whole thing about how his whole take on how the Internet is fragmented culture, I feel is just so misguided. I feel that he comes from a really like uh, honest place within him, for want of a better way of putting it. I think uh-huh. he means it. I think his concerns are actually well-founded. But I think his way of expressing that and, and the way that the young characters act in the book and the way that it just everything about it strikes me as an old man who's just angry that he's not young anymore. And he's trying to be young at the same time as condemning the young, the, see, the real young. Does that I make don't, sense? I, he, I, it, well, I, see, I, I'm like, it makes sense. I'm just not sure I agree with you because I feel I, like... I, makes, I don't care if you agree with me. That's fine. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> the truth comes out. Uh, I, I, I guess I can't see that. Well, all right. In that case, I'm going to see. Does it really make sense? Let me see here. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> I love right. it. Like, it doesn't make sense. And I'll just break down in tears and that'll be the end of the podcast. <laughs> We're, just have a, we are totally talking about this book that we said we're going to talk about next week. Yeah, no, we're screwed. We're basically, it was the discussion we never thought would happen is actually happening now. You, but, you, uh, you should read it again and we should talk about it next week. Well, yeah, I will. Because I do think that there was stuff that bugged me, but there's stuff that has always bugged me about Miller's work the in real, that sense. The really weird thing is, I think the stuff that bugs you might not be the stuff that bugs me at all. Well, except that, Which for I, example... I kind of love. Uh, yeah, that would be, actually be great. But it sounds to me, because my thing is is that I feel that Miller is, like, he's he is trying to unshackle the superheroes, like I said, from the, the corporate chastity belt. He wants them weird. He wants them really fucking weird. He wants to, he really does want to burn down the building. And you're right, there's, it's old man vitriol, not perceived youthful... Well, yeah, yeah, I, I guess I, I agree with you, but I think the difference is I think he wants them to be f- freed so they can be like they were when he was young. As opposed no, to I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that no. they can be what the kids want them to be. No, 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 no. I see, and that's the part that I, I, where I don't entirely disagree with you. I think he does want them to be free to be what he wants them to be but what he wants them to be is female and promiscuous you know what I mean so <laughs> as we said yeah the sexual politics of Dark Knight Strikes Again are fascinating yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. I, that's, that's no surprise for anyone who's ever read a Frank Miller comic ever and yet wow I was, right. I, was yet. I was like really mm-hmm. yeah. also maybe my favorite scene for all the wrong reasons mm-hmm. is the Wonder Woman fucks Superman until he's healthy again. Like oh, yeah. Six pages. Six pages. Right, right. That's the one where, yeah, and, and also... Wait, wait, and, by the way, she has sex with him that is so amazing, it fixes his clothes. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> when you read the book, you'll realize that it fixes his clothes. That's that's during the literal, the Earth Moves sequence yes. or whatever? Yes. Yeah, that was just so absurd. I, I and I remember like because seriously I as as a defender of the series I have to say that the first two issues I barely cared for at all and by the <laughs> third issue the series it's all about the, the end yeah like the third issue which again just has stuff that kind well, of what, what's telling about that for you perhaps is that in the absolute edition in his notes he basically mm-hmm. says the first two issues are finished before nine eleven 
the third mm-hmm. issue is a response to 9-11. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I think it's very clear. I mean, there was this huge gap, and it was obvious. Like, there is Captain Marvel. Is it Captain Marvel that's in the in all that ash? Yes, and it's like, yeah, Captain Marvel is, and Wonder Woman, and then Captain Marvel yeah. dies. Yeah. yeah, and that is so clearly... That is so clearly 9-11 right there. And it does. It changes. I don't know if it changes the tone or anything, but it has a moment of inclusion that totally throws everything. That kind of gives me a, a... I just felt like I had a better sense of what was going on by the end of the third issue. And it probably helped that that was the moment where I was like, oh, okay, there's somebody with actually recognizable human feelings running around in this, as opposed to just kind of... Uh, uh, I don't know, callous, callow, martini swilling dickhead, I suppose, which it was really easy to make the case for the first two issues. I'm, I'm sure he would be like, no, Pat's Blue Ribbon, you know, but, you know, whatever it was that he was drinking, it was way too uh, kind of cruel. The first two issues are very cruel and bitter and unhappy in a way that turns me off and it wasn't until the third volume that I went oh oh okay I got a better sense of like where this is going mm-hmm. which again in All-Star Batman and Robin when you strip out Miller's cartooning angle and you put Jim Lee's airless statuary in it it just seems so um, it, it really does seem heartless and cynical and 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 mean in a way that I I never ended up enjoying with All Star Batman and Robin. I have to say, uh, apart from it also being just an absurd mess. But you know, I think this conversation shows I can look past an. Abs- I'm willing to excuse an absurd mess if I feel that there's some other thing that kind of they can get me. So no, I I I completely can see that, and I'm sure I've shown in my love of completely random things in the past. I can do the same. Do you, want oh. me to, do you want me to discuss an absurd mess that I read this I, week that I loved? Please do. It's one that you too will love. <laughs> West Coast Avengers Volume 1. Oh, Actually, you bastard. West Coast Avengers Family Ties, is this, mm. uh, which is 12 issues, stunningly. Wow, it's really? First, or maybe it's 11 issues? It's the first... Uh, not, yeah, it's 11 issues. First nine issues of the Steve Engelhart West Coast Avengers and the first two issues of Vision of Scarlet Witch, which cross over with it. Oh, wow. And that's a, a big chunk of book. Mm-hmm. That is. That's a lot. And it's awesome, but it is a mess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's one of those... It's a mess in the very 1980s Marvel way, wherein people can plan things, and then someone in another book will do something that completely fucks up the plan. <laughs> <laughs> which, also known as the Engelhart curse, I think, at yeah. this point. Um, but yeah, it has it has made me want um, basically to write a Justice League comic with the new Justice League, the DC Universe Fifty Two, New Fifty Two Justice uh-huh. in Steve Englehart fashion, purely because I want to see characters confront Wonder Woman about whether or not she's wearing pants, <laughs> and someone will say you're not even wearing pants, and not and pants will be bolded. Okay. <laughs> And then Wonder Woman will say, I can wear pants if I choose to. And then another speech balloon, she'll say, I can do anything if I choose to. Can and anything we bolded. And there'll be two dashes and an exclamation point. Meanwhile, a Green Lantern will be watching. 
and his thought balloon will say, what a fox. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now, let me know. Is this Inglehart pastiche, or is that actually you just transpose the various figures in there and that actually No, no, that that is Inglehart pastiche. Okay. It's the sort of thing you can imagine him writing, right? Absolutely. I, I was, as you were describing it, I'm like, okay, I can see the art for West Coast Avengers. The one thinking what a fox was clearly Wonder Man. But who was it who was actually saying the pants part? Like Scarlet Witch? Mockingbird? I don't, this is Tigra? No, that, 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 Tigra. That's, that's the thing. If I was doing this fake Justice League book, I don't know who would pencil it, but it'd have to be someone inking in the style of Joe it. God, God bless Joe Sinnott. I don't even remember who was drawing the book, but Joe Sinnott was... Al, Al Milgram is, is penciling, except for some of the issues, oh, he's Al actually Milgram. only providing layouts and right. just doing cool finishes. Right. And let me tell you, if there's one person who did not understand the 80s design ethic aesthetic, and maybe nobody did, Joe Sinnott, I feel, did not... Like, I remember, doesn't his Iron Man look like a fucking German beer can? Yes, or like his Iron Man, because it's the silver armor. Yes! His Iron Man looks incredibly weird. He's incredibly bulky, and for some reason his face, his face seems entirely flat. Yeah, it's great! It really is! It, it's it's kind like of spectacular. Also, yeah. um, there is one issue in here where Sinnott was not available for that issue. So breakdowns are provided by Al Milgram, and... Pencils and inks are provided by Kyle Baker. Da da da. Kyle Baker in I, it's got to be like eighty five, perhaps. It's uh, yeah, that sounds really about right. Yeah. and so it's nothing like Kyle Baker stuff now. Like right, astonishingly nothing like Kyle Baker stuff now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, back then he was working on a weird, like somewhere between Neil Adams and Bill Sienkiewicz kind of vibe. It's, like, and it's weird, weird art. But especially when it's tucked between Joe and inks, oh, it yeah. stands out so much. Wow. But yeah, there, there are, sure. I mean, there's just amazing stuff in this book. Amazing stuff. Ultron versus Ultron for the first time, because one of the Ultrons decides that he's going to reform, starts calling Hank Prim dad, which is kind of creepy, uh, and demands yes. that he's called Mark. Because he's Ultron Mark 12. That's lovely. I've forgotten about that, but that sounds completely familiar to me. Um, there is. But no, the, my favorite thing from, from the whole book is um, I, almost from like issue three, the thing guest stars. Mm-hmm. And Hawkeye's continually like, come on, join the group. Yes. And the thing's like, no, but always comes back. He's like, yeah. are you saying I'm not going to come back? And then he eventually is like, sure, I'm going to join the group. Mm-hmm. And the book ends with, with him saying, yes, I'll join. Right. And then I was like, but he didn't join the group. What happened? No, I, and so I looked online, and what happened was, that was when they decided he was going to rejoin the Fantastic Four. So the next issue is him basically like, no, sorry, guys. <laughs> Psych! Which is awesome. It's like eight months of him being like, I'm not, maybe I'll join. I don't know. Will I join? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. And then he's like, I'll join. Only joking. Ben Grimm cocktease. Although, as yeah. you said, also, I, talking about that, I love that Ben Grimm in this book gets away with calling Hawkeye <laughs> Cockeye for the entire book. Cockeye, really? Cockeye, that's what he calls him. Oh, that is beautiful. Um, but Steve Englehart writes an amazing Ben Grimm. Yeah, he kind of does. He writes he? a really, really, really good Ben Grimm out of mm-hmm. all the characters in this. And it has to be said, Wonder, I kind of love Wonder Man again after reading Wonder Man in this book. Yeah, because Wonder Man is uh, is 
is pretty without guile under Engelhart, you know? Well, yeah, this, this starts the... Because I, when I read West Coast Avengers when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I, I started in, like, the second year. Mm-hmm. And so I never read any stories. So I was just a Wonder Man being the, the big head. Mm-hmm. And so to read the stories where he gets over his fear mm-hmm. and becomes the big head, mm-hmm. it's fascinating mm-hmm. to see. Well... It is. It's one of the things that I do love about Engelhart is is that he does. He he never he never resets the status quo. I guess in a way, you know, it's kind oh, and of also like, he loves continuity. He will bring yeah. things back that like has appeared once before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and then he'll suture something in. So the whole thing of Wonder Man, yeah, being afraid after coming back to life and all this stuff, and then he gets over it, and you're like, oh wow, it's this great character moment. And then he's like, okay, but now I'm going to show you what happens because he gets over it, and it's he becomes he becomes a complete egotistical turd. Yeah, which is know. awesome. Yeah, There's it's maybe an issue of you being like, that's really good that he's gotten over it, and that really quickly becomes, oh my god, he's a dick. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, the, yeah, no, there's a lot of, I, you know, and of course I feel like um, considering that the character really hasn't had his own book, it's amazing for me to think how long Hawkeye has been around in the Marvel Universe and has had Hawkeye's a lot of pages cover him. Well, I mean, not for very long. Like, no, but it, Hawkeye's had like at least three attempts at solo series. Oh, I, and he had solo, he, he was, was the solo Avengers lead for the entire run of that book. How how long was that, though? I'm going to say that's like eight years. Eight I, solo I, Avengers? I'm, I'm going to pick it up. I want to say, I want to say by the time it came, became Avenger Spotlight, it was at least over issue 50. Really? I'm wow. About to look it up. We'll you please it. do, because that must have been an era I was this, not this, paying this attention to. Be, I could be horribly wrong. So I was like, six issues, man. I think Hawkeye's had like six issues of everything, except in West Coast Avengers and Avengers, and you know he pops up in Defenders, and you know he's he's the guy. So Avengers made us forty issues. Wow! No shit. 40 issues of solo Avengers. I'm shocked that Bendis hasn't launched that in a way. Wow. Give it, give it time. Yeah, no, no shit. Ah, uh, no shit, my friend. But no, okay, uh, so Hawkeye has had... He had his own mini. Right. And then he had Solo Avengers. And then right. I want to say he had another series in the 90s, and then he had Hawkeye and Mockingbirds just recently. Of course, Which just into another mini. Yeah, absolutely. No, exactly. And, uh, so, yes, I'm sorry. When I say he hasn't had his own series, I guess I mean I, he had many you series. He's never managed to really – He's never had a continuing track. title under his own thing. And yet when you factor in you know, the fact that he's kind of a prime character in you know, Busick's run in Avengers and Englehart's run in Avengers and Englehart's run in West Coast Avengers, in Thunderbolts, I want to say, you know, he's – that guy's got he's got a lot of he's got a lot of mileage under yeah, his belt. Yeah, he really does. And and I was going to say I sort of feel like Engelhart's take on Hawkeye is one of the definitive ones, I oh, think. Oh, it's yeah, Engelhart's Hawkeye is completely definitive for me. Mhm. Mm-hmm. In part because I think it's the the one I really encountered first. Uh yeah, I think so. Despite the fact that he was around in, you know, Marvel Comics, you know, he's around in the Avengers for a huge long time beforehand. Uh, and then he was a defender for a very short time, which again was Engelhardt. Yeah, yeah again. Engel- Engelhardt's actually written a lot of Hawkeye. 
Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Between between Avengers and West Coast Avengers, it's a huge chunk. But I'm realizing, like, no, he had a he had a pretty center stage in the, you know, the what I always think of is the second string Avengers, you know, um, with Roy, under Roy Thomas, and then yeah, because remember he became a Goliath. Yeah, exactly. He became Goliath, but you know, he and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch joined the group and. God, was that issue 16? Issue 32? When the fuck was 16. that? 16. It was very Yeah. Early. Yeah, so it's really early on. He's been around for a lot. It's kind of this weird, like, I'm just realizing now kind of what a major character he is and how long he's been around. And and I think uh, Kurt Busiek, who's done a lot with the character as well, also took a lot of his cues from Englehart's run, it feels like to me. So, you know. I mean, on the one hand, Hawkeye is kind of the hothead character, but I feel like he became so much more under the course of these guys, and this would be a perfect segue into talking about Ultimate Hawkeye, but I don't think either of us read it. Did you? I don't even think it's out yet. Oh, is it? I thought it came out this week. So. Ultimates came out this week. Oh. And then I want to say Ultimate Hawkeye is next week, and then I think it's Spider-Man, and then the week after that, it's X-Men. Well, my goodness... Well, the, the idea that the Ultimate Verse is actually launching with only one title a week—I love the idea that in October it will be all four titles in the same week, and then in November there will be no titles because they'll right. they'll all exactly. be skipping. A month. Exactly, they'll be skipping that month, and then it's going to be double shipping in December, and then in January the line's being rebooted. So I don't—I don't know. Ho ho! <laughs> oh joy! I—I—I. <laughs> um, I, 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 are you interested at all in the Ultimate Reboot? Oh, no. No, no, no. Not at all. I I, I could care less. I, I mean, that's not true. I actually looked at the six-page preview at the back of some Marvel book that I had where the art looked really pretty. It was almost like Daniel Lacuna pretty. Um, who's drawing that? Is that well, it's not Lacuna. Yeah. It's Esad Ribic. Oh, yeah, Ribic. Yeah, oh, right. I do actually love his work. Do I? <laughs> I I always get him confused Only with you can tell me, Jeff. Yeah, I'm sorry. I always get him confused with Gorlan Parlov a little bit. I I, I prefer Gorlan Parlov. I do too. Esad is the one who normally paints. I think right. like his first pen and ink work actually. Okay, okay. Well I remember looking at it and it kinda of reminded me of Daniel Lacuna's work actually, so I was kinda of like, Man, looks pretty, but but yeah, I don't. I don't care. I, I don't really care about the Ultimate Universe. I like maybe I'll care about Ultimate Spider-Man. But I mean, the Ultimates. By the time Miller and Hitch left, the it, the concept was dead, as far as I was concerned. So I really have no interest at that point. You know, I was like, no, these are the guys. They couldn't even make it twenty-four issues on their own. More power to them. You know, whatever. So. It's it's very strange, because Ultimates. I mean, it's just that Ultimates has no reason to exist now because the, the regular Marvel Universe is so strong. I don't Because it, it, it is really odd. I, I'm similarly just over mm-hmm. the Ultimate books. Right. You know, I, I, it is, it's a good question. I think, I think that, um, with, to me, with the exception of Ultimate Spider-Man, well, we talked about Ultimate X-Men, which was terrible, so it's pretty easy to write that off. There's Ultimate Spider-Man, which actually did read like uh, an enjoyable comic book that I read. Um, but Ultimates started off as kind of like the you know when the first six issues of it essentially covered 
you know, the first issue of Avengers, but kind of in this satisfying way, I think I had this sense of like, there's going to be a story being told here, you know? And um, the weird thing is, is like, to me, the second arc of the Ultimates very quickly became, no, we're just telling comic book stories. You know what I mean? Like, there was no, like, the first six issues of the Ultimates felt like such a definitive story that it almost to me felt like it, it's going to be like, oh, this is going to be a Vertigo comic. It's going to run 60 issues. And at the end of it, you're going to see that how the entire world has changed. All these characters' arcs have like maneuvered and cross-maneuvered. Some supporting character who you thought was an asshole is going to be your favorite character of the book. But it's all going to feel like one big grand thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And... And it was like two issues into, you know, it was like Ultimates number eight where I was like, oh, no, they just they don't they don't fucking know. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, <laughs> wait, so it was the first run. It wasn't even by the time you got to Ultimates two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even think I made it to the end of Ultimates, the first run of Ultimates. I think by it was like, OK, this better get good soon. And by the end of it, I was just like, yeah, no. By the time Ultimates two, volume two kicked in, I was like, hmm. But yeah, those first 12 issues, the first six, I'm like, okay. And the second six issues, I'm like, there's going to be something. And then, then yeah, that was the idiot point where I went, no, this is this is just going to end. Because I, I never really badly. liked the Ultimates. I mean, I can appreciate a lot of what people like about it, but I don't actually sure. like it. But what I find really interesting about the Ultimates is by the time you're getting to the end of the se- of Miller and Hitch's run on it, yes, I feel it just completely falls apart. Oh, yeah. Oh like, yeah, but stunningly mm-hmm. falls oh, yeah. apart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like wet tissue paper in your hands falls apart. But, Whereas, but like, then, the, of course, then they went to Loeb and whoever drew that run, and that, oh, was, uh, that was mind-bogglingly bad. Wasn't it bad? It was kind of amazing. It really had that uncomfortable feeling of like Miller walk, Miller and Hitch walking away, going like. Thank you. Thank you very much. And and I remember thinking, like, well, it's not going to get any worse than that. And, oh, my God, all it took was one issue to prove me wrong. Oh, no, it, it, it got hilariously worse. Oh, Jesus. That was, yeah, that, that I remember reading that first issue. with the, It was Joe Mad's art. And between Joe Mad's art and Jeff Loeb's writing, I was like, I was like, this is the, you know, the perfect storm of comic book boner killing. Like, not even like I had any sort of comic book boner from for the Ultimates, but I was just like, oh my god. Like, it's a completely bankrupt idea. Like, it's not even an idea, you know? And so, at this stage, when everyone's like, hey, it's going to be Hickman, and it's going to be, you know, Ribic, and, you know, who, I, you know, it, short of it being like, I don't know, uh, Grant Morrison, J.G.U. Jones, I would just be like, I don't care. I don't care because ultimately, no pun intended, it just becomes, um, they just become, I don't know how to describe it. Like, they just become analogs of themselves. Well, no, exactly. I, mean? I think that's one of the reasons why Ultimates is so, it's funny because I, again, on Twitter, I saw David is married today basically saying, someone said, you know, I'm, I'm over Ultimates. And he was like, you don't want to read good writing and good art. And part of it is, not, not for those characters. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I just, I love the fact I'm like, Graham's going to say no. This is the ultimate contrarian position. But yeah, no, I agree. I mean, well, I it's mean, like, it could be a great comic. And there's something in particular about the ultimate universe that I have, re- like, it's almost like I start from negative 50 points. 
Right. Yeah. Out of college yeah, yeah. really has to work. Yeah. 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 No. Exactly. I mean, it, it's got so many so many hurdles to overcome. That it's just kind of not worth the effort. And statistically speaking, it seems unlikely that it will. And if it turns out that you're wrong, the chances of it being collected and you being able to read it out of the library exactly it's, now it's it's really unlikely that Marvel's going to collect this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think they're actually shipping the deluxe hardcover with the third issue. So. Yeah, exactly. Like tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I just, I mean, maybe someone will prove me. I, I remember that I went through a phase. Here we are talking about the old man, you know, kids get off my lawn stage of things. I remember being young and really believing. Like, I Alan remember Mark. having hair. I re- oh, God, exactly. Uh, and a liver, you know, like all those things, um, those youthful things. And and sort of reading that Alan Moore interview quote where he was uh, – he said, um, you know, there, basically there is no such thing as a bad character. There's just a bad handling of a character, you know. And considering he, he had turned Swamp Thing into – one of my favorite books ever, and that was the classic character I couldn't care about. And Moore had done a number of like eight-page stories. He did a wacky little eight-page story with Green Arrow. Actually, it was two eight-pagers, you know, with Claus Jansen art. I'm like, this is kind of interesting. It's kind of crap, but it's kind of interesting. And and so you kind of had that idea of like, yeah, there's no bad. And uh, Hibbs still says it. He's like, there is no bad characters. There are just bad treatments of characters. And I not sure I believe that any longer. Sure, like like as, I, I, as I get older, I start thinking, no, there are bad characters. There are bad no, characters. As much as I want to disagree with you, I think you're entirely right. <laughs> I don't I don't think anyone can really be like, there's no such thing as a bad character. Why? I remember reading Young Blood and thinking, with the right treatment, these characters <laughs> could be the next big thing. Right. We've got Shaft who's like Hawkeye, but not. And we've got Badrock. And I, after this, by the way, you've got to help me out. Right. He's kind of rapidly run out. I'm like, uh, there's Gritted Teeth Guy. Shit, why did you have to name all the... Because here's the thing. Didn't There's Alan Moore do a couple of issues? I actually enjoy. I enjoyed those issues that Alan Moore did. did uh, but at the same time, I didn't necessarily care about the character. But also, here's the thing. I think Shaft is the only character from the Rob Liefeld's uh, Youngblood who appears in the Alan Moore yeah, issues. I was going to say, yeah, it's Suprema. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're totally John, right. Johnny Rocket. Right. Yeah. Okay, let's see who they, who they were. Shaft. Shaft. Bad Rock. Bad Rock. Vogue. Vogue. Oh, God. Is a Russian fashion model with purple and chalk white skin. And Chapel. Of course, Chapel. Chapel's actually like relatively important to image continuity, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, you should know this. You read that Joe Casey, like, rescripted. And I, yeah. did I enjoy it? I can't remember. I, I almost wish I still had it. Dude, you totally enjoyed it. Well, I don't <laughs> did know if I you... give it to you? Yeah, you did. <laughs> you and I, I killed a hobo with it. I did not actually <laughs> use it for reading purposes. I don't was it hoboden? Yeah, it was, it was not hoboden. Uh, why do I know this? Because he was not wearing that awesome ram's head helmet. Um, yeah, that is a bit of a giveaway when he's jumping on trains and he's yeah. got like, his big overcoat, but he's carrying a massive fuck off staff and he's got. Massive- <laughs> I do love that it's called a massive fuck off staff. It's like this is my staff of fuck off. Exactly. That's that's, 
that's what it is. What's your problem with the English language, Lathan? I, I actually love the idea because fuck off actually sounds close enough to Volstag. Like it sounds like it's one of the lost members <laughs> that's of the, the Warriors it, it, it 3. It was actually the Warriors 4. Yeah, it was the Warriors 4. It was it's like, Rule, you, Volstag. Volstag. And the Grim. And yes. fuck off. <laughs> fuck off was the Mary Japester of the character. And if people off, they'd be like, oh, fuck off. Fuck off. Come over here. Yeah. Uh, you know, if Garth Ennis had actually managed to decided that he wanted to write some of those like Thor miniseries, like easy money things, he totally would have done this. Oh, uh, totally I see. Then you get back to the whole when Mark Miller wrote the Justice League and he had a Green Lantern called Arse Bandit. Oh, right. He had that, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, no, he really did. There really was a Green Lantern called Arsbandit. How did he get that even by everyone, or anyone for that matter? Because editors clearly were not paying attention. <laughs> I mean, apparently not. Oh, well. Um, as you talking about Mark Miller, I'm seeing that he, uh, Youngblood Bloodsport, of course, he only did two issues of that. I was about to say, did that even ever get finished? Nope. Yeah, wait, was that a yup or a nope? Nope. No oh, okay. Response. Then Holy there was Youngblood Genesis. Uh, See, this is where I'm always like, fuck you, Rob Liefeld. Like, and then there was Youngblood Imperial. Mm-hmm. That was only one issue as well. See, I, I, I just... I. And just, then there was, of course, hilariously, <laughs> Youngblood was relaunched by Joe Casey and Derek Dunn. Okay? Uh-huh. Wait, Derek... Six issues? Seven? Right. And then Rob Liefeld's like, I'm taking over, and no issue has come out since then. <laughs> <laughs> well, but this is, yeah, but this is the, this is why I'm like, I'm, sh- I, I, it appalls, it gets me really frustrated that, that Rob Liefeld continues to have fans. Because I feel like, a career, exactly, because I feel like he really treats stuff like this incredibly shoddy. See, and here's, I, here's the crazy thing about the Hawk and Dove. Uh, reboot that he's doing with uh, Sterling Gates. Yes. I really like Sterling Gates as a writer. Mm-hmm. I do not like Rob Liefeld as an artist, particularly. Yes. I, however, am going to get the first, at least the first couple of issues of Hawking Dove because if the story is good enough, all I have to do is wait for Liefeld to leave. Right. Do you know and what I mean? Because it'll only take he'll like three issues. Yeah, exactly. Right. No, he'll no, no, be no, gone be by point. issue seven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, no, I mean, the, the worst thing is, you know, then they'll be like, we're replacing him with Brett Booth. Like, oh. <laughs> oh dear! Oh, oh dear! <laughs> ah, well, my friend. Um, hmm, should we should we consider wrapping this up? Do you have a pressing topic? In, I, I in really mind? don't have a pressing topic. Isn't that sad? This is the the bad mood with lethargy podcast. I don't know. You know, I we, I'm shocked that we actually covered so much ground. Like we were talking pretty nonstop, and it was almost mostly all comics for. Yeah, we had, we had like maybe five minutes. Where we were talking about how shitty our moods are at the start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was and then, good. Yeah, and once we once we got back into complaining about everything, it was remarkably fine. So. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, all we need is for people to send us more emails. For sure. Because Absolutely. Genuinely, people have sent us emails. I'm, in fact, going to look at my email so I can tell you who those people are. Ooh, good them. idea. In the yeah. podcast, um, Alan Purcell, or maybe Purcell. Uh, thank you very much. Yes. And also, Mike Walker, thank you very much for emailing us. Uh, both of you lovely gentlemen emailed, like, within a day of that podcast and that um, email address being live. 
Yeah. Which Actually, I can't tell day. you how happy that made me. Yeah, me too. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and other people, please do it. And unnamed comics professionals who are mad at me because of something Jeff said, uh, and <laughs> tell me because they don't have Jeff's email address, you can use that email address as well because we both get it. It's true. Wait, what podcast at gmail.com seen by both Graham and I uh, more or less in real time. So Alexander Gore is like me. I will not be checking my email and I will see that you have replied already before yes. I've even seen the email in the first place. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay then. It's, yeah, at some point that may get a little more touchy, but I figured at the, for right now it's you would have no problems with it, so... I, have, I, I can't foresee a problem where I'm going to have any problem outside of the future where I'm going to have any problems with it in general. Yes. Yeah, I don't think so either. Oh, but. wait. I did have a question I wanted to ask you, Jeff Lesser. Oh, okay. Tell me, Graham McMillan. Who are you going to be in the new DC universe? Today is the last release date of the old DC books. Because wow. next week it's only Flashpoint and then it's Justice League. And Flashpoint isn't even in the DC universe, as we know. Right. So, by the time that our listeners hear this, we will have been rebooted. What no? And, yeah, I, sort of. I guess you're right. I was going to say that I'm not. That I'm not right at the Lantern continuity. So I will actually have be undergoing a reboot. <laughs> I see. Okay, so who are we going to be under new co- comic book continuity? Yeah, something? I mean, I'm very excited. I've I've discovered that I'm going to get my hair back. Uh huh. Which which will be great. I'm really looking forward to that. There's apparently rumors that I'm not going to be Scottish anymore. I don't know how I feel about that. Are you gonna? Are are we keeping the ethnicity angle? Are you gonna be Haitian or Dominican or something like that? That would be kind of awesome. Well, it's DC Comics. All they're going to say is I might be black. They're not going beyond that. <laughs> okay, they're, they're, you, they're calling me the Graham McMillan of Africa. Ooh, huh. Well, you know, depending on who you got working on that, my worry is is that if you're if you're a Judd Winnick is handling you, I would I would watch your back, my friend. There are, watch there are her, so watch her many, multi-ethnic yeah. back. If John, John Wedding is handling me, watch your back. Really? Oh, you're right. I didn't quite mean it quite like that. Although, wow. Um, I <sighs> see so much better. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a lifetime of listening to Eartha Kitt, Jeff. <laughs> uh, my understanding is um, they are looking for quote-unquote just the right creative team to bring me back to the new DCU. There's rumors that I might be a miniseries that Paul Levitz is going to be undertaking uh, in December. Um, There's also uh, the occasional rumors that I will be gay. So, you know. No change uh, there. (laughs) Pow. Just the sort of thing I would expect from the Graham McMillan of Africa. <laughs> uh, you know, it was funny. You know, be a great punchline to this joke. What? To have other people do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! If we were just thinking, we could have had the boop, and then we could have Edie and Kate talking on the line, and they would just be finishing up, and that would be the best. Because I'm sure they could both do pretty good imitations of us, and that would be fantastic. That would be so, so great. <laughs> well, let's do it. Yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, I'll have to see if we can get get them to do that next week when we talk. That would be hilarious. Uh, yeah, I kind of felt, you know, it's, it's a shame. I, I sort of was like, we should we should assemble our list of... What, the greatest DC Universe stories ever? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, at least pre reboot. But I was all, I, it's that weird, like from when to when. Like you know, DC's had so many like weird reboots. I, I counted five different DC universes today for Newsrama. Wow. There's the Golden Age, there's the Silver Age, there's Post Crisis, there's Post Zero Hour, and then there's right. Post Infinite Crisis. Wow. And theoretically, everything got rebooted again at the end of Final Crisis. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it was kind of a. Uh, Mentioned in the corner of a caption. Yeah, literally. They're like, and then we restarted time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) And then there was an Aquaman, but not the same Aquaman as the one that we're going to be rebooting three months from now. They're like, that Aquaman was a rumor. What are you saying? Aquaman? (laughs) Shh. There's no Aquaman here. (laughs) Don't look at the Aquaman behind the curtain. Just move away. (laughs) We meant Ackerman. The uh, yeah no 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 uh, right so that there is that kind of thing. Diane Ackerman, the uh, natural history writer, as an aquatic based superhero for the DC universe, I would read the shit out of that because <laughs> she'd be swimming along and Black Manta or someone would pop up and be like, "I'm going to kill you, Ackerman," and she'd be like, "Okay, wait, look, look at that really rare sea life over there." <laughs> and then she'd swim over and she'd be like, "This this hasn't been seen." in decades and then she'll spend like 20 pages talking about the history of it which will nonetheless be fascinating and it'll end with Black Manta just spearing it with his harpoon and being like <laughs> I am a bastard I am a bastard and now you die uh, I have to say that the preview pages I saw of Jeff Johns's Aquaman seemed about that subtle uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that are you looking forward to Jeff Johns's Aquaman? not incredibly where he like saves everybody and then See, they're all I'm like <laughs> because I, I read Brightest Day so I kind of know exactly what Jeff Johnson's Aquaman is going to be like oh you read that, Brightest Day didn't you? no I, well I read that first hardcover oh uh, you, you've missed out yeah you've missed that was... out on some spectacular comics my friend <laughs> and by spectacular you mean they exist okay fair enough I, actually I have Brightest, to Brightest Day has his moments but um I, I actually it, enjoyed that one of sort them. of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I can I can see that. Uh, I I thought the end of the first hardcover, where it's all sort of building to a point or something, even if it was as silly as "You shall eat a hamburger and it shall change the universe." You know, I, where I, the voice I, is I, telling I everything. That. I love that. I love it's it's the the power up thing. Yeah, right. Where it's like you will do this, and then it goes to reverse logic. It's like you've done it already. <laughs> power up. Like, here's your extra life. I love that. Honestly, I read that and I was like, he's really fucking writing a Scott Pilgrim. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I actually thought that that was really fun. It was funny. My my touchstone was, I want to say, like, Lost or or the event, you know, where it was so clearly like, here's your mythology mystery to keep you teased. We know what's going on. We no, you know. see, if it, if it was the event, it would have ended halfway through the series with no one having any clue what's going on. Yeah, well, I have to say, the last issue of Brightest Day s- sounded a lot like that. <laughs> no, it, it pretty much like wrapped up the majority of plots. Admittedly, by bringing in Swamp Thing from nowhere. Yes. And being like, it's Swamp Thing, everyone! Remember Swamp Thing? <laughs> Don't ask about that. It's Swamp Thing! <laughs> I... I would be so happy if someone actually took pages of Brightest Day art and put your dialogue, put your captions in. You know, it's Swamp Thing. It's Swamp Thing. Remember Swamp Thing, everybody? 
<laughs> that would be so much more of an enjoyable read. Um, yes. Well, anyway, so well, I, on that... well, I did offer today on Twitter that I would edit. What was I going to edit? I was going to edit something for DC. And I can't even remember what it was now. <laughs> I, I do this all the time. I always offer DC when I will edit. Books. You totally do. You're always like, DC. <laughs> And just saying. If I, it's Newsarama, got its thing up because uh, everyone in Newsarama has suggested crossovers Ooh. that we want to see. Oh, in the new Fifty Two? No, no, no. In, in general, Marvel and DC, uh, oh, and it's not up yet. Uh, oh, okay. And what's funny is, so I, I came up with two, and I was for some reason the first person to respond to me, you know. And then Chris Arant suggested three, and I would read every single one of his three. Oh, really? I was like, I'd read the shit out of that. Can you tell me now, since since it won't go up for the listeners, and you know our podcast will not be beating news around to the punch. You, you can also cut this out, oh, um, or you could keep it in. I don't know because I don't know what's going to show up or not. Right. Um, for some reason, my email is not playing, so I can only get to the last one he sent. But the last uh-huh. one he sent is the new DC universe is the fifth world of Jack Kirby fame, as in what comes after the fourth world. Oh, and nice. Metron has escaped the end of the fourth world and is trying to stop the fifth world being created. So it's Metron and scientifically created clones of the new gods versus the DC Universe superheroes. That's a lovely little storyline. It's a that great idea. Great. Yeah, yeah, that's actually really good. In fact, I could I could almost see that being done. I was going to say, I could almost see, see that being done in Justice League. And then I had this weird moment of like, I have no idea how the new DC is going to work. You know, like, <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like, you can't, anyone? yeah, no, I don't think anyone does, but I had that moment of like, can you not reference shit like that happening before? Like, I mean, I guess you could, if you did it in such a way. Well, I, I think flashpoint is going to be the big decider. The last issue of flashpoint, because right. you can, the weird thing about DC's reboots is you can follow all of them in a straight line. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can say, Crisis on Infinite Earths happened, and then as a result of Crisis on Infinite Earths, time right. was restarted, leading to post-crisis. Then, yeah. as a result of that, Zero Hour happened, and right. this happened, all the way through, and Flashpoint continues that. You can actually, if you want, say, Flashpoint ended that timeline by starting this timeline. Sure. So theoretically, if someone has managed to pop between timelines, then they'll remember the old timeline. Oh, completely. I, I'm sorry. I guess my thing is when I say, like, I don't know how the, ah, the new DC would work, uh, I, I guess I mean more in the sense of that's the way that I assumed that it would happen. Yeah, I, I'm just saying, like, there's a there's a weird chance that they might be everyone's forbidden from mentioning any metatextual reference that points outside of this incarnation for like the first year, the first yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something along those lines. Yeah, because otherwise everyone is going to start getting pretty clever and start like because it's the fastest, most interesting way to have some drama is like a bunch of characters who are no longer in the new continuity. Yeah, yeah that, like, that that's Chris's other one, which is essentially the same idea, but um, for Wildstorm that the mm-hmm. Wildstorm universe that was destroyed that was Earth fifty of the, the uh-huh. thing. Um, find their way to the new DC Earth. Oh, nice! And they're like, well, "What? What the fuck is this?" Right. <laughs> Especially because there's new versions of them. There's new versions of them running around doing things that doesn't necessarily jibe with yeah, their exactly. lives and things. Uh, Chris also wanted a crossover for Marvel crossover based around King Arthur and Captain Britain. Huh. Well, 
That's King Arthur-esque crossover events putting Captain Britain side by side with Captain America. And he said they can get Alan Davis to draw it. Right. My goodness, so many, so many merry, merry ideas. Of course, I, I think I would. Of course, I, I, you know, I, I don't remember seeing Alan Davis tackle Captain America. That, uh, he did. He must have. He did Steve Rogers, but not Captain America, in that Avengers Prime thing recently. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, he would be. I think he could do a lovely Captain America in a way. I'm, I'm seeing if anyone else has responded. No, it's only me and Chris. Damn them. Damn my, them. My was, um, I want to bring back Earth Two by killing off the Flash a la Crisis on Earth except he's not dead he's on Earth 2 but no one even knows Earth 2 exists ah that's very cool so everyone thinks he's dead Every, he's basically on this you other have planet a, you have a Flash book mm-hmm. uh, he dies during a Justice League fight right and Justice League are like the Flash is dead he is vanished yeah and they mourn and they get to be like oh one of our numbers has fallen Wally West becomes a new Flash mm-hmm. meanwhile in the Flash title <laughs> Right. The Flash is in Earth 2, where no one believes that he's actually the Flash, because they've got this real Flash, and they think he's a Nazi spy. Yeah, I've, you know, it's funny. I, I've always wanted to do, not so much, because you're definitely doing the whole Earth 2 Nazi spy thing, which is great, let me tell you. That's that's awesome. Um, I always wanted to do a kind of pocket universe thing, where I'd have a, you know, a superhero who plays in the larger myth- mythos, and then gets... Everyone thinks he's dead, but he's actually knocked into an alternate reality, and he's trying to get back. That's that kind of, they, they did that, Captain Atom. Captain Atom's Wildstorm series is that. Oh yeah, I think you mentioned that, right? Because he's in the Wildstorm universe, and he's trying to get back to the DCU. And everyone's like, "What?" I'm also thinking of uh, you know Adam Warlock back in the '70s when he oh, ended when up he was on Counter Earth. Exactly the Counter Earth shenanigans. There was something about that that just seemed so evocative to me, and of course. I think it was, I don't remember if it was being written by Gary Friedrich or Roy Thomas, but they started breaking out more and more of like, well, and on this planet, it's Dr. Doom who's the hero. And I'm not so interested in all that. I just, honestly, I would love to do a, uh, basically, you have a character, because of Marvel and DC, you start with a character that is in the bulk of their universes, and then you figure out a way to put them in a new setting where they're the only superhero. And Start building from there. You know what I mean? Like, just actually, you know, you know who did that? Kind of in a weird way. Savage Dragon. Oh yeah, right. Exactly. Because Eric Larson essentially ended his own book to continue his own book as Commandy. Right, and he fucked it up nine million ways. I was so excited by that. I was like, "This is great!" And he designed it like the Marvel comics from the seventies, and it was crazy. And 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 he structured it like the old Kirby comics. You'd have a splash first page. Followed by right. two page splash after that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was fantastic. My problem was he was like, A, every issue is a standalone, and B, every issue you don't need to have read anything that had happened before. So I'm like, great, this is a jumping on point that I'm into. And I think the second issue ended with to be continued, and I'm like, okay, not really a standalone. And then the issue after that brought in other people from the previous storylines. You know, but they were different in this one. But he didn't explain who they were, so everyone was like, "I can't believe that Shark Face is no longer lovers with big boobies. It's crazy." You know, and I'm like, "Who? Who are? Who are these characters? I don't even know their names. You're just calling them by their nicknames." I'm so. Con- 
that was one of the most disappointing turns because it could have been fucking fantastic, and I had to give up out of frustration. Because everything truly, about truly it was, sad thing, by the way, is I can completely see Eric Larson creating a shark face and bigger boobies as characters. I, I'm not joking. I was about to say I will have to find those characters and send them to you because I, I, they, I'm only seventy percent sure that they're not called shark face and big boobies. So. Uh, <laughs> Oh dear! Oh dear! <laughs> um, the other crossover I came over was a Mar- was a Marvel one. I want Doctor Doom and Kang to fight through time and destroy the Marvel timeline. Ooh, yeah! The ramifications of that would be awesome because that's a little bit like what was going on with Kang and Rama Tut. Yeah, in Avengers Forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the the whole idea of like Doom and Kang being like either the same dude or an ancestor of one or the other. I don't remember if they... If I, I want to say Busek actually did come up with some sort of answer to that. I, I can't remember did. what it was, but I think he did. You know, I, that's one book that I need to go back and reread because I got the trade paperback of it or read it in the store, and I was like, this is great. This is everything. This is such a, like, it was such a great, like... Avengers Forever? Yeah, Avengers yeah. Forever was like was like... Uh, Busiek, Busiek trying to out Steve Englehart, Steve Englehart, and for the first six issues of it, I'm like, this is working, this is fucking fantastic, this is great, and then I do not, I don't remember what happened. Like, I might have yeah, killed I, another I, I, hobo I'm with the book because I read in collections. So I've definitely read the whole thing. I just, mm-hmm. I don't, don't really remember it. Right? Exactly. It's this weird. Like, I remember right where it's coming up, and then, boop. I wonder what it just gets wiped out of our timeline at that point. Exactly, it's because we've been made over. <laughs> that, that's that's true. Oh you come were... on! Guess what? Avengers Forever is not in my library system. What? Yep. Oh man! If oh oh come on come on San Francisco, <laughs> this is your chance. This is your one chance to oh, make it up you, to me. You know what? I have to pick up them. I'm going for the um, Joe Simon Jack Kirby books. Oh, are you? Fighting American used by Legion to pick up. Uh, you know, I picked up Sandman and made it maybe a couple issues. And I have to say, I like Joe Simon in the 70s when he's being insane on his own. Uh, and I like, um, Kirby of course, I love Kirby. When they're being Guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the two of them together as a team, oh, my God, Avengers Forever is in the San Francisco Library. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I win. I cannot believe it. Ah. I I I'm so shocked. This your, is your sigh. Can I just say it was the greatest part of that? <laughs> was it? But I win. <laughs> <laughs>